You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 10th day of December, 2012. Welcome to episode 250 of the Corbett Report podcast, Crashes of Convenience, PLF 101. On the morning of the 10th of April, 2010, a Tupolev Tu-154M aircraft crashed in heavy fog on its approach to the Smolensk North Airport, killing all 96 people aboard. Like any such plane crash, this was a tragedy. But having said that, this was not an ordinary plane crash. Uh, good morning, everybody. We have breaking news to start with. Uh, we have a Fox News alert because there's tragedy out of Russia. Investigators say that a plane carrying the president of Poland has crashed and all people on board have been killed. 132 people are dead. The plane carrying some of the country's highest military and civilian leaders. Yeah, joining us on the phone right now from Warsaw, Poland, is Matthew Day with Global Radio News. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, Matthew. What can you tell us? Well, the, the news is that the president of Poland and his wife have died, along with scores of others, in a plane crash in western Russia. The president was traveling to Russia to take part in commemorations of the Katyn massacre when thousands of Polish officers were killed by the Soviet Union in the Second World War. And it has ended in, in complete tragedy. Poland is a stunned nation at the moment. Was this some type of government plane or was this a commercial airliner? It was uh, the president's official aircraft, which was a rather aging Tupolev, which is a, a, a Russian design. And at the moment, the Russians are saying that it could be pilot error, because apparently the plane clipped some trees as it came into land at Smolensk. And, but also there was, a, there was heavy fog at the airport at the time. Mm. Uh, Matthew, we can only imagine what the scene is in Poland upon hearing this news this morning. Uh, tell us... In fact, we have live pictures coming into our newsroom right now of mourners gathered in the streets. It looks like hundreds uh, there gathered in, in a main square. Tell us what the scene is. Yes, you know, Poland, Poland is, is stunned. It's shocked. It really is. The, like a, a tragedy like this hasn't happened to the nation probably since the Second World War. And it's not just the president and his wife that you, they had. The head of the Polish Armed Forces is dead. The head of the Polish National Bank is dead. You have the head of the Polish National Security Council is dead, and it just goes on and on the list. It's cut a huge chunk out of the Polish political um, and civilian establishment. Certainly any plane crash that takes the life of the head of the state of a country is no ordinary plane crash. But even on top of that, this particular plane crash took the life of not only the president, but of many of the senior government and military officials in the Polish government at that time. And to get a sense of some of the senior officials who were killed in that crash, we can turn to a BBC News article that aired the next day on the 11th of April 2010 under the headline, Senior Polish Figures Killed in Plane Crash. 
where it outlines not only, of course, President Lech Kaczynski being killed in the crash, but also his national security chief, the governor of the National Bank of Poland, the the deputy speaker of the lower house, the chief of the general staff, the former president in exile, and the deputy head of the governing law and justice party, just to name a few. And it's difficult to really imagine this crash as anything other than a decapitation blow of the Polish government as it existed at the time. And given the nature, the severity of what had taken place, it is only to be expected that a thorough and independent review would be established right away in the aftermath of this event. But interestingly enough, since the crash itself actually took place in Russia, it turned out to be the Russian authorities who ended up being the authorities that set up and ran the investigation into the crash, which is somewhat unorthodox given that Basically, the entirety of the senior Polish government and military staff were taken out in this crash, but Russia, nonetheless, were eager to start the investigation, or so it seems from some of the initial reports that came out at the time, including this report from the AP, the Associated Press, on the 11th of April, Putin heads crash investigation. Quote, The crash of an aging Russian airliner ravaged the top levels of Poland's military, political, and church elite Saturday, killing the Polish president and dozens of other dignitaries as they travel to a ceremony commemorating a slaughter that has divided the two nations for seven decades. Poles wept before their televisions, lowered flags to half-staff, and taped black ribbons in their windows after hearing that President Lech Kaczynski and the upper echelons of the establishment lay dead in woods a short drive from the site of the Katyn Forest Massacre, where 22,000 Polish officers were killed by Soviet secret police in one of Poland's greatest national traumas. Thousands of people, many in tears, placed candles and flowers at the presidential palace in central Warsaw. Many called the crash Poland's worst disaster since World War II. Twenty monks rang the Zygmunt bell at Krakow's Wawel Cathedral, the burial spot of Polish kings, a tolling reserved for times of profound importance or grief. The crash also shocked Russia. Sensing the depth of the tragedy for Poland, Prime Minister Vladimir Putin personally took charge of the investigation and very quickly and publicly offered condolences, along with Russian President Dmitry Medvedev. On this difficult day, the people of Russia stand stand with the Polish people, Medvedev said, according to the Kremlin press service. End quote. And indeed, just some of the indication of just how eager Russia was to begin its investigation into the crash comes uh, from another story published in those early days. This one from the abcnews.go.com website, Polish plane crash, what happened in the cockpit? which has a section entitled Russia Shows Deep Support, which reads in part, quote, Hours after the crash, Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin flew to Smolensk, where he met Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk. The fatal plane crash Saturday carried Kaczynski and 95 other top Polish government, military, and religious leaders. Russia's active involvement in the investigation signaled what one Polish correspondent called a turning point in relations between the two nations. It's the first time I saw Putin truly moved and upset as he hugged Tusk. Kristina Kerchip Redlich, a longtime correspondent of Polish media in Russia and an author of many books on contemporary Russia, said, This is a real turning point. Putin told Russian TV, This is first and foremost Poland's tragedy and that of the Polish people. But this is also our tragedy, and we mourn with you and grieve with you. 
A clearly upset Medvedev made a televised address Saturday, saying the Smolensk tragedy was unprecedented and ordered a national day of mourning in Russia on Monday. End quote. Well, it certainly would be a turning point in relations between Russia and Poland, which have been infamously, well, shall we say, rocky for many decades. And uh, to see Russia with such an outpouring of support for Poland in the wake of the death of its acting head of state and many of his top staff, well, certainly would be a type of turning point. And certainly the heartfelt hug that Putin gave Tusk in front of the television cameras must have been some indication of something, some great tectonic shift in relations between Russia and Poland, right? Well, the investigation was duly set up and was run by Vladimir Putin, as indicated in those early reports, and it fell to an organization known as MAK in Russia, which delivered its report in October of 2010, and that report was commented on by the Polish government, and those comments were put together with the report and published in its final form in January of 2011, at which time it was told to the the people of the world that the final word on the crash and what had caused it had finally been determined. Inexperienced crew members, a lack of bad weather readiness, pressure from passengers to land quickly, and the pilot's refusal to look for an alternative landing site. Those are listed as the main reasons behind April's deadly crash, which killed Polish President Lech Kaczynski. The investigative committee has presented its final report on the accident's causes to Poland. Artis Katarina Azarova is in the Polish capital, Warsaw. This is uh, the biggest news story in Poland today, of course. Every single news channeling uh, devoting a lot of coverage to the story, to the reaction. And, of course, reaction to the report released by the committee is, of course, mixed. Some are saying that it is a truthful report and a necessary, albeit painful, step in uh, relations between Moscow and Warsaw, that it is a necessary step uh, that will allow the two sides to... uh, close this tragic and painful chapter of their shared past and hopefully move on. Others, of course, including uh, the uh, former Polish president, Lech Kaczynski, his brother, uh, are saying that the report is nothing but a joke, that it is presenting the Polish side with falsified data. Many uh, here in Poland do agree this report uh, does accurately reflect the causes and the consequences and the reasons behind the tragic plane crash on April 10th. We are glad that this report exists. This is a step that's brought us closer to the next stage, finding out the circumstances that led to the tragedy. I must admit that the Russians are right again. I don't want to agree with the Russians, but this is the truth. Of course, we can look for guilt and blame someone else. This is the narrative put together by the Russian Interstate Aviation Committee, or better known by its Russian acronym, the MAK, and dutifully delivered to the world by Russian state government-owned Russia Television, Russia Today Television, in those early days uh, after the release of the report. And that's basically the narrative which still persists to this day in mainline sources, 
as the official word on what happened with the crash. Basically, there was heavy fog that morning, and unfortunately, the pilots who were in charge of ferrying around the president and basically uh, a vast number of the top senior government and military officials of the country were so inexperienced and so uh, terribly uh, bad pilots that they could not really control the craft, that they went in for a look-see approach to the landing strip at the Smolensk North Airport, and on that approach, they got too far down. They ended up hitting a tree, overturning, and crashing short of the runway. Now, that is the official narrative, as I say, and of course, you are free to go and download that official Russian government report, which is available from English in English from their website, and I'll put the link in the show notes for today's episode so you can go and read through it for yourself, along with all of the accompanying data. But it is certainly far from the end or final word on the crash, and in fact, it was in the very, very early days of that crash that some very serious questions about what had taken place there that morning started to arise, including some very interesting footage of the crash scene itself, ostensibly shot by an amateur who had rushed to the scene, that seems to show something very different than what the official narrative portrays, including in the aftermath of that crash, which supposedly killed all 96 of the passengers upon impact, the firing of what appears to be gunshots in that vicinity. Well, there's no doubt that is extremely interesting footage because it does portray a very different idea of what was taking place in the minutes after the crash than what has been presented in the official narrative. And as for the authenticity of the video, I certainly think there can be no doubt that this is video of the crash scene itself, since it corresponds in every detail to the officially released photos and videos of the crash scene. But whether or not the audio has been manipulated in any way is something, well, more difficult to tell. I have not seen any in-depth analysis of the audio of this video and whether it's been added to or edited in any form, but it would be interesting to see if there's any audio experts out there who would be able to put their, their, their knowledge to the task of trying to see whether that audio has been doctored. But assuming it has not been, it certainly does paint a very different picture because it would seem to indicate that there was someone, presumably Russians, firing shots at the scene of the crash, and why on earth would they be firing gunshots if not to kill any remaining passengers? Certainly that was the way that this video has been portrayed and presented to the public, but of course only on YouTube and on the internet, because as far as I know there's been no official uh, word on what this video is, where it comes from, or even who took the video. Now, the only uh, the only thing that I've seen online about the origins, the, the provenance of this video, comes from various Polish websites and which were translated into English. It all seems to source back to one particular Polish website that had some interesting details about who shot the video. And we can garner some of that from PrisonPlanet.com, which aired this story just 11 days after the crash itself on April 21st, 2010 claim man who shot Polish plane crash gunshots footage stabbed to death. 
And this article reads, quote, The man who filmed the video that appeared to depict gunshots being fired in the immediate aftermath of the Polish plane crash has apparently been stabbed to death in what many are claiming was a deliberate assassination to silence the individual from making public whatever it was he saw. The following translation appears on numerous websites, with this Polish website being the original source, and the article links to the, uh, the Polish website in question. The translation is roughly as follows. Author of this video, seen by everyone by now, has been stabbed near Kijau on April 15th and transported in critical condition to the hospital in Kijau. On April 16th, three unidentified individuals unplugged him from life support system and stabbed him three more times. Andriy was pronounced dead that afternoon. Russian government claims it was a coincidence. The video, which can be viewed below, as well as the apparent fate of the man who shot the footage, have not been reported on any mainstream news outlet, and the story cannot be completely verified, although the footage in the clip is very similar to images and video seen after the crash. However, some believe some people are of the belief that the entire story is a hoax, and being used to falsely implicate Russia in the crash of the aircraft. Until any confirmation is forthcoming, its authenticity is still up in the air. End quote. Well, that was the situation as it stood over two years ago now, in April of 2010, and as far as I know, as far as I'm able to track down, at least in the English part of the blogosphere, there is no more word or definitive uh, uh, pronouncement on whether this Andrew Menjerej, and I apologize in advance for my but butchering of all Polish names in today's episode, but whether this uh, Andrew or Andri or Edridge Menjerej was in fact responsible for shooting this footage, whether he was taken to hospital after suffering stabs on April, stab wounds on April 15th, whether he was then unplugged from a life support system and stabbed three more times and killed. I have absolutely no way of verifying any of these uh, pieces of this story. They all trace back to this Polish website, but as far as I know, there's been no official pronouncement on this, no way to verify these claims, or even who this person was. So in two plus years, as far as I know, there has been no more definitive word set about the, the authenticity of this video or where it comes from. If there has been further definitive word on where this comes from that is verifiable, by all means, please let me know through the contact form on CorbettReport.com, because obviously this could be a very key piece of the puzzle of what actually happened that morning. But even having said that, it is certainly not the only indication that there have been some mysterious deaths and shootings and other incidents that have taken place in connection, or at least in loose connection, with the events of this plane crash on April 10th. And for example, we had a bizarre story that came out in January of 2012 about a prosecutor in the Polish government who ended up shooting himself after cutting a press conference short. Let's take more on this from a Reuters story that was published on the National Post on January 9th, 2012. Quote, A Polish military prosecutor shot himself in the head on Monday after cutting short a news conference in what appeared to be a dramatic protest in a turf war between Poland's civilian and military prosecution services. Mikolaj Przybyl was taken to the hospital in the western city of Poznan after reporters heard a gunshot and hurried back to find him lying slumped on the floor in a pool of blood.
Now, once again, this is an interesting and bizarre piece of what could be part of the Smolensk crash puzzle. Uh, certainly the military prosecutor basically committing or t- attempting to commit suicide, failing to commit suicide in such a spectacular way does really raise questions about what kind of pressure he was under and why he would do such a thing. And again, as far as I know, there hasn't been a lot of follow-up with this in the English language media, but on the 10th of January, the day after, there was uh, some. There were some stories that came out in BBC News and other places. So let's take our cue from BBC. 10th of January, 2012, Polish suicide bid prosecutor faced death threats. Quote, a Polish military prosecutor who survived shooting himself at the end of a news conference says he had faced threats to his life. Colonel Mikolaj Przybyl said there was a contract out to kill him and that he had been accused of wrongdoing. Colonel Przybyl had been defending a military inquiry into media leaks related to the air crash that killed the Polish president in 2010. He turned his gun on himself after asking reporters to leave the room. I wanted to commit suicide, but I aimed wrong. The shot came too soon, he told state news agency PAP in a telephone call from his hospital bed. The shot went through the cheek, not through the head, because I was in a hurry, he said. He told the agency that threats had been made against him in connection with past investigations, although he did not specify who he thought was behind the threats. I could accept that they destroyed my car, loosened my wheels so I would kill myself. There was a million Zloty bounty on my head. They killed my dog, he said. I could not deal with the attacks related with accusations of illegal actions. At the news conference in his office in Poznan, Western Poland, Colonel Przybyl had denied that prosecutors had eavesdropped on journalists investigating the air crash. He asked reporters to take leave so that he could take to leave so that he could take a break. He told Pap that he had stood by a window when he pulled the trigger to prevent a ricochet hurting others. End quote. Again, this story and all of this coverage surrounding it just really seems to leave more questions than it actually answers. And we do know that somehow this is related to military investigations of leaks into the air crash investigation, But uh, in what way and who was behind it? Again, as far as I know, this has never really been followed up on in the English media. I'm sure there is a lot of Polish media available on this, but unfortunately, because of the translation barrier, it is difficult for me to access that information. So again, if people know more about what became of Colonel Przybyl, please let me know through the contact form. But let's move on to another mysterious death that has taken place in connection with this investigation, and this one occurring quite a bit more recently from October 29th, 2012. There was an RT article which we'll take from SOT.net, S-O-T-T.net. Key witness in Polish presidential plane crash found hanged. Quote, a Polish parliamentary investigation into President's Lech, President Lech Kaczynski's plane crash in Smolensk in 2010 is considering witness protection. A flight engineer set to deliver critical testimony was found hanged in his house in Warsaw. The body of Remiguez Muz, a 42-year-old aviation engineer, was found by his wife in the cellar of their house in the suburbs of the Polish capital at around 11.30 p.m. local time on Saturday. She called an ambulance and attempted to resuscitate her husband, but medics pronounced him dead as soon as they arrived. An autopsy is set for Monday, October 29th. 
As news of Musa's death hit headlines, the head of the Polish Parliamentary Commission looking into the crash, Antony Macierowicz, said that Muz was one of two key witnesses in the case. With Muz dead, key witness Ar- Arter Wozdul should be put in protective custody, Macierowicz said. Darusz Slopakura, a spokesperson for the Warsaw District Prosecutor's Office, said on Monday that Mus likely committed suicide. End quote. Well, I'll let you continue reading about what happened in that particular death uh, at that article, but suffice it to say there have been a number of very mysterious circumstances surrounding some of the important people in the investigation into what really happened in Smolensk that day, and you might wonder what kind of investigation is going on since sp- supposedly the MAK, the Interstate Aviation Services uh, uh, panel from Russia, supposedly came out with the definitive final word. Well, of course, there are numerous people who had problems with that so-called final word and who thus have taken it upon themselves to start a, a more thorough and a new investigation into what really happened with that Smolensk plane crash. And one of the best places to go for information on this a particular investigation, at least in the English language, is SmolenskCrash.eu, Smolensk Crash, The Rejected Truth, which is put together by the 2010 Cadden Families Association, obviously uh, family members of some of the people who died in that crash, and some interested parties have put together this new investigation, a Polish parliamentary investigation into what really happened in this, in this tragedy. And they have a lot of very interesting information on that website that goes through many of the different aspects of what happened and and why there are still questions about this. And just reading from the introduction to the press uh, press pack that SmolenskCrash.eu has put together, quote, The Smolensk crash was an unprecedented occurrence in the history of worldwide aviation and in the history of politics. The head of the sixth largest EU member state, as well as NATO generals and the Polish elite, died on board of the TU-154M. They lost their lives while traveling to a sacred place for the Poles, to the forest where in 1940, pursuant to Stalin's order, over 20,000 Polish military officers were shot in the back of the head. The truth about this horrendous murder was concealed for over 50 years. Anyone trying to reveal the truth about it risked death. Only in the 1990s did politicians in Moscow admit who was responsible for that massacre, although they, they were still creating obstacles, and they still do so, with rehabilitation of the victims and reluctant approach to disclosure of documents. It is customary in our country to consider the Kaden lie a founding myth of the People's Republic of Poland, the post-war Polish state under the Soviet Union's control. After 70 years, cruelly and almost unbelievably history went full circle, Another tragedy occurred in the very same place based again on lies and half-truths. The world must ensure that it does not take another 50 years to uncover the truth. On 10th of April 2010, a tragedy struck which did not have the right to occur. Government aircraft of civilized countries flown by well-trained pilots used used to difficult conditions with supreme delegations on board do not normally crash. We must know how this one did. The formal investigation of the crash appears for all intents and purposes now over. A report was drawn by a Russian institution entirely subordinate to the authorities in Moscow, and another report by a Polish governmental committee, which to a large extent depended solely on Russian findings and evidence. 
Opinion polls in Poland show that none of these documents are considered as credible. Almost two years after the crash, numerous facts have come to light, casting serious doubts over the officially presented version of events. It is high time for international public opinion to learn the details of the multiplying doubts and to assist in determining what we should care about first and foremost, the truth, honor and transparent, fair process. End quote. Well, again, that comes from the press pack on Smolenskcrash.eu. But more information on the investigation that they are currently committing and what it has so far found comes from the public hearing section of the website. So let's read through some of this and talk about some of the problems that they have indicated in the official Russian investigation, the so-called last word, into the Smolensk crash. This, uh, this part of the website reads in part, quote, on the 28th of March 2012, the European Conservative and Reformist groups, together with the 2010 Cadden Families Association, organized in the European Parliament in Brussels a public hearing on the causes of the Smolensk presidential plane crash of April 10, 2012. The public hearing focused on the latest work of the parliamentary group looking at what really happened in Smolensk, revealing new facts and evidence. It was an opportunity for the international public at large to find out how inadequate the investigation and evidence examination has been to date. American and Polish experts forming part of the parliamentary group under Antony Macierewicz have reconstructed the course of events during the last seconds of the flight in which 96 Poles died, including the president, his wife, and the supreme commanders of the Polish armed forces. The public hearing held in Brussels set out results of parallel tests carried out by American and Polish experts. The conclusions reached by the scientists in Poland and the United States, working independently from each other, are in agreement. Professor Wisław Binyenda and Dr. Kamiraz Nawaczyk played a leading role in the American investigation. In Poland, this role was played by a group of physicists who at present prefer not to disclose their names. The presentation, which summarizes the scientists' findings, puts forward a completely different picture of events than that proposed by the Russian Interstate Aviation Committee and the Polish Jersey Miller Commission. The experts' research calls into question the official version of the disaster, which stated that the TU-154 hit a birch tree, lost part of its left wing as a result of this collision, then spun around 180 degrees and crashed to Earth. From an analysis of data from the TAWS system and from the onboard computer, altitude at specific times and geographical location, as well as flight parameters given in MAK reports and in the Miller Commission report, load factors and angles showing the aircraft's banking and inclination, it appears that 1. There was, in fact, no contact between the aircraft and the birch tree close to the nearer radio beacon or the birch tree that is claimed to have cut off part of the wing. The TU-154 was flying about, about 14 meters above these trees. 2. The aircraft lost part of its wing 69 meters after the birch tree at an altitude of 26 meters. The experts showed that this section could not have broken off against the birch tree and then be found 111 meters away from the tree, as claimed by the Russian experts and by the Miller Commission, as the computer simulation demonstrated that following such an impact, the section would have fallen to Earth within 10 to 12 meters of the tree. 3. Even if the TU-154 had hit the birch tree, it would not have lost a section of wing from the impact. This was demonstrated in a computer simulation carried out by Professor Binyenda using specialist Liz LS Dyna 3D software. 
To convince any skeptics, Professor Binyenda carried out the experiment several times, increasing certain parameters in excess of the situation at the time density of timber, diameter of the tree, etc. 4. At the same time that a section of the wing broke off, which, we should repeat, occurred at an altitude of 26 meters, the aircraft was rocked by two impacts, which were recorded by the flight recorder, flight data. It was at this point that the Tupolev changed course. 5. Two seconds later, when TU-154 was approximately 15 meters above the ground, the aircraft lost power, and the onboard computer ceased functioning and its data was frozen. Data obtained from the computer by the American computer manufacturer can constitute the source of the analysis presented by Professor Binyenda and Dr. Nowichik. The machine was located about 60 meters before the place where the aircraft hit the ground. End quote. Well, I'll let you continue reading through that write-up on SmolenskCrash.eu for more information about those findings and what they're conclusions are, but obviously this does raise considerable problems for the official narrative of what happened at that crash scene if it was not, in fact, the birch tree that caused the left wing to fall off. And if it was not the birch tree, of course that leaves the question of what did cause the plane to break apart 26 meters in the air? Poland denies explosives found on wreck of crashed jet. Polish prosecutors denied a newspaper report that investigators found traces of explosives on the wreckage of the government jet that crashed in Russia two years ago, killing Poland's president, Leah Kaczynski, and 95 others. The Polish daily newspaper said on Tuesday that investigators who examined the remains of the plane in Russia found signs of TNT and nitroglycerin on the wings and in the cabin, including on 30 of the seats. The report strengthened accusations by rightist groups that investigators ignored evidence of outside involvement and prompted opposition leader Jaroslaw Kaczynski, the twin brother of Leach, as I mispronounced Leah before, as I'll use this opportunity, I, I will not attempt to mangle a lot of these Polish names and implore you guys, as always, to go read read the information for yourself. The twin brother to call for the government to resign as they ignored evidence. Polish military prosecutors said they were sticking to their finding that the crash was not an assassination and no explosives were found on the remains of the government TU-154 that crashed during its approach to a small airport near the Russian city of Smolensk on April 10th, 2010. It is not true that investigators found evidence of TNT or nitroglycerin, quote-unquote, said a colonel from the military prosecutor's office. A shocking story to be sure, and one that, if true, obviously casts a lot of doubt onto what really caused the plane crash, wouldn't you think? Well, certainly a lot of people would think, and that's why that particular headline caused such furor around the world, and of course in Poland, but it was almost immediately retracted by the newspaper that first published the report. And we can take a look at this from the news.pl. Newspaper retracts Smolensk aircraft explosives claim. A newspaper had to retract Tuesday afternoon an earlier report claiming that military prosecutors had found traces of explosives on the 2010 Smolensk air disaster plane wreckage. And this story reads in part, quote, After a morning of blanket coverage from news out media outlets following the Czech Pospolita newspaper breaking the story, with even calls by the leader of the opposition for the Prime Minister, Donald Tusk, to resign, 
Military Prosecutor Colonel Irinus Zhilag told an expectant press conference in Warsaw that it was not true that traces of explosives were found by the Polish research team, as had been claimed by the newspaper article. Traces of explosives were not found on the aircraft, he said. End quote. You can go and continue reading through that uh, retraction and the fallout therefrom in that article, but it is at the very least interesting to note that it was military prosecutors who had to come out and deny that there had been any traces of explosives found at the scene. And then a few months later, one of those military prosecutors goes and shoots himself in the head during a press conference because he is being uh, bribed and and. and threatened by outside forces relating to a military prosecutor investigation into leaks to the media. So I think it does. we don't have to go too far out on a limb to see how those two uh, incidents are, might be connected. I'm sorry, that, uh, that shooting actually took place before that particular leak, but I think we can still draw that type of inference that there are le- leaks within the military prosecutor's office that they're obviously keen to try to plug, whoever they may be. But interestingly enough, the explosive story does not end there. It does not end with the retraction, because in fact, SmolenskCrash.eu has this particular story in their news section from just last week, December 7th, 2012. TNT After All. Quote, in another twist to the investigation of 2010, uh, the 2010 Smolensk aircraft crash, which killed President Lech Kaczynski and a number of other state officials, Polish MPs from the Justice Committee met with military investigators from the Polish Military Prosecutor's Office who admitted that some detectors traced TNT in the wreckage of the plane, which apparently does not need to imply the presence of explosives. In November, Poland's daily Czechpospolita published a text about traces of explosives on the Smolensk plane wreckage. Later, the publisher said that the information gained by the author of the article was over-interpreted. In consequence, the daily's editor-in-chief, Tomasz Wrobleszki, said the author of the article, Cezary Gimis, along with two other editors, were laid off. On Thursday, Yaroslav Kaczynski, PIS leader and twin brother of the late president, said the text published by Czechpospolita was not far from the truth, and such situation constitutes a serious threat to freedom of speech, and demanded that the decision about firing the journalists be reconsidered. Today we know that traces of TNT were found on the wreckage of the TU-154 plane, but from confirming traces of TNT to suggesting an assassination is a long way commented Justice Minister Yaroslav Gowin. End quote. Well, certainly it is a long way from merely having traces of TNT in the crash site to actually implying that it was, in fact, TNT that brought the plane down. But at the very least, that is an important piece of, of what could be a larger puzzle and something that should be taken into account and at least be understood and recognized for what it is. So the, the, uh, the newspaper that published the story did retract it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't true. In fact, it is now being confirmed that it is true there were traces of explosives found at the scene. It's just yet to be determined whether those explosives did actually cause the crash itself. But there are many, many, many more extremely interesting pieces of this puzzle that, again, need to be taken into account, and without an adequate understanding of which, we can't even begin to understand what happened with that Smolensk crash. So let's turn to another website that has been doing the real yeoman's work of putting a lot of this information into English. This is doomedsoldiers.com, which is a tribute website to the Polish underground resistance soldiers of 1944 to 1963 who were resisting the Soviet 
Soviet takeover of that country in the wake of World War II. And this website has been doing a lot of work publishing information in English about this crash. So I sincerely hope that people will go and take a look at this uh, website and follow some of the links from the show notes for today's episodes to some of the interesting articles they've published, including one by former CIA uh, agent Eugene Poteet. He's a retired CIA scientific intelligence officer, and he has a long list of credentials, which I'll let you read on your own time. But he wrote this interesting uh, article called Russian Image Management in the Wake of the Crash, which had some very interesting details. And I'll just share one of those interesting details with you. It says in this article, quote, The pilot of the TU-154 with Polish Prime Minister Donald Tusk on board had successfully landed at Smolensk Airport only days before the crash. The pilot, fluent in Russian, had no problems in communicating with the Smolensk control tower. Interestingly, the Russian Prime Minister, Vladimir Putin, had flown into Smolensk three days before the crash, but he arranged to have his own portable landing system brought in, probably a GCA radar, ground-controlled approach radar, which can talk to the pilot into a safe landing in bad weather. Putin departed after three or four hours. My guess is that Putin's pilots knew the Smolensk ILS, the the landing uh, controls for the, the Smolensk airport, could be unreliable and wanted their own GCA there for safety. Forty minutes before the crash, a Russian Yak-40 airplane with 40 people on board landed safely. Twenty minutes before the crash, a Russian AWAC airplane did a touch-and-go at the airport, then flew on to Moscow. End quote. Again, just some interesting pieces of this puzzle that I haven't heard mentioned elsewhere. And unfortunately, this article doesn't have any links to any sources, so I can't independently confirm Putin was there at the airport just a few days before the crash with his own ground-controlled approach radar brought in specifically for landing his aircraft because they couldn't trust the ILS at the airport there. But that is certainly a significant piece of information if it is true and if it can be confirmed to be true. But many, many, many... Many more pieces of information can be gleaned from a very, very valuable timeline of this tragedy that was published on DoomedSoldiers.com that is called March to Death, Countdown to the Crash of Flight PLF-101, and which I wholeheartedly recommend people to go out there and to read through in its entirety. It's quite lengthy. They have uh, upwards of 70 points uh, on this timeline that show different pieces of this puzzle, but some of them are just too important to pass up mentioning here. So let's read through a few of these, including the very first entry in this timeline, which comes from April 9th, 2009, just one year and one day before the actual crash itself. It says, Polish MON, the abbreviation for Ministry of National Defense, signs a contract concerning the repairs and renovation of two Polish TU-154 airplanes. A consortium of MAW Telecom and Politic Electronic firms wins the tender worth more than 69 million zloty. The second one of these companies isn't even registered with the CSR and thus should have been automatically disqualified from bidding. For reasons that are impossible to explain, the offers made by other bidders are rejected. Among those are Metal Export S and the government-owned Boomar Enterprise. As reported by the air agency Altair, the MON chose a contractor without any analysis of other bid proposals. The owner of the Samara repair plant chosen by the consortium is Oleg Deripaska, 
who was investigated by Western prosecutors on suspicion of money laundering and contacts with the Russian mafia, and who had his visa to the U.S. revoked from 2006 to 2009. The Tupolev's engines, on the other hand, are overhauled in the factories managed by Sergei Kemazov. He lives next door to the current Prime Minister of Russia, actually now the current President of Russia, Vladimir Putin. None of the Polish Special Service representatives were present during the critical engines overhaul. And we'll move further down in the timeline to just before the crash, where it says the Ministry of National Defense doesn't assign any military gendarmerie, MG, security detail to the generals of the Polish Armed Forces flying to Kaden. Not a single MG soldier flew to Kaden, even though such security detail is to be assigned to the generals by law. One day before the flight to Smolensk, the Russians withdraw their permission to allow members of BOR, Lech Kaczynski's security detail, to carry sidearms with them. Well, that's obviously extremely interesting in light of the footage that has come out suggesting there were gunshots at the scene, which, if it is true that the BOR and the MG were not, the MG were not there and the BOR were not, were not allowed to carry sidearms, it means that the only possible conclusion is that there were Russian forces on the scene discharging their firearms for whatever purposes. Finally, let's move down even further in the timeline to the investigation part of this timeline, where it says, quote, starting at four minutes before the tragedy, an unexplained silence in the over-the-air communications between the tower and the Polish crew takes place. The only commands heard are, you are on course and on approach path, and Horizon 101. Polish air traffic controllers who commented on this state of affairs noted that it is a pure absurd and impossible to believe, since the directions on course and on approach path cannot be issued without earlier corrections regarding the aircraft position. It indicates a high probability that the transcripts were purposefully falsified. And as a translator's note, the original black boxes were never returned to Poland. Moving further down, the Russians refused to turn over the original black boxes to the Polish investigators despite the fact that they are the property of the Polish government. Similarly, they refused to make the originals available for the analysis in Poland. And this one, particularly bizarre, particularly head-scratching. For over 18 months, the Polish military's prosecutor's office refuses to allow the families of the victims to exhume the remains of their loved ones. Now, why on earth would they do that? The Polish military prosecution has confirmed the allegations that the remains of Ryszard Kaczorowski, the last president of Poland in exile, are not in the grave they were allegedly buried in. The remains were swapped with someone else's remains whose family members did not give permission to reveal their identity. In the case of other exhumations performed as part of the investigation of the plane crash which killed the president of Poland, Lech Kaczyński, as well as NATO generals and other country elites, the prosecution has revealed shocking details of the autopsies. Several bodies were desecrated, including the body of the legend of the Solidarity Movement, Anna Valentinovich. Rubber gloves, a sleeve from a jacket, as well as other garbage was found in her head. The family was in disbelief, as they claimed that her face was intact when they first identified her body in Moscow, back in 2010. Now, her head showed clear signs of physical mutilation. Yes, as unbelievable as it may seem, there is now, well, confirmation that, in fact, bodies have been swapped around and other bodies have had their remains desecrated during the autopsy process, etc. 
So certainly a, a distinct lack of respect for the bodies of these people have been shown in the investigation of what happened and the uh, the victims' families have been denied the ability to exhume their the remains of their loved ones for a long time, presumably to stop them from finding out about this desecration, etc. So a very bizarre state of affairs, and in this investigation, time and time again, it seems to come back to the fact that it was the Russians who were in charge of the airport, it was the Russians who took over the investigation, it was the Russians who have de denied the, uh, the family members and others access to the important data in this case, and a lot of these roads lead back to Mother Russia. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, I suppose we should deal with the idea that uh, Russia would participate in a politically motivated decapitation strike on the Polish government right out there in the open. Now, I know what you're thinking. What, the Russian government with the, the specter of Vladimir Putin hanging out more or less in the background, committing outrageous and outrageously obvious political assassinations? <laughs> Why, I never. So, um, Marina, we're having, uh, there's going to be an inquest next year, 2013, into the death of your husband, Alexander Livinenko. Um, now, tell us about that, about why it's important, and also why you're launching an appeal for funds to, to help your legal case? Yes, uh, I think everybody should remember, but if not remember, on 2006, 23rd of November, Sasha died in hospital and polonium was discovered in his body. And of course, after this, uh, his death became world known because before nobody were mm. killed by polonium, by this high radioactive uh, substance. And we were waiting almost for five years for inquest because uh, from beginning uh, it was one name of uh, Lugovo suspect. Yes. Who, he was a prime suspect from Russia, but he uh, never been extradited. And when we received the second name is uh, Kofton, we have now Dimitri two Kofton. suspects. He's now, he's now officially the second exactly. suspect, isn't it? That's yes. another thing we know, that he's also accused of murdering Yes, but uh, in five years we realize we will not be able to have a real trial. About, about, about two years ago, Anna's daughter, Vera, got pregnant. Uh, Anna, Anna had always said that if she got, if, if either her daughter or her son gave her a grandchild, she would stop going to Chechnya. And this was a big thing because her family and her friends were uh, pleaded with her for years to stop going. They were fearful for her. Everybody was fearful for her. There was a, uh, a feeling in the air. Uh, Marion Pearl, the widow of Daniel Pearl, the Wall Street Journal reporter who was killed in Pakistan back in 2002, told me she presented Anna with a, uh, an award for courage in journalism. She was the presenter at a, a ceremony in New York, and she said, I felt, Marianne felt, and everybody in the room felt, this woman is going to die. Anna herself said it. I'm not, I'm not going to die in my bed. And she said, I, I, know, I know this is going to end badly. 
Yes, I don't think we can put it past the members of the Russian mafia that passes for a government to involve itself in spectacular and even quite obvious political assassinations. It is certainly something that we've seen time and again in the past, and uh, something that we should not be eager to write off in the case of this spectacular, what seems to be a decapitation strike on the highest members of the Polish government. But of course, it does raise the question of motivation. If this crash was not simply a an accident, then what was the motivation for making this crash happen and the killing of the, uh, any potential survivors? Why would the Russian government have participated in this? Uh, well, there are a number of different things that have been floated as potential reasons for why the Kaczynski government had to be taken down from everything from their refusal to go along with the bird flu pandemic hype that was happening in early 2010 and the mandatory vaccination programs that Poland was resisting to things like uh, the Polish economy was doing a little too well for the European Central Bank's liking and they wanted the Zloty to uh, to be uh, raised in, in against the euro, but uh, that Polish uh, Kaczynski and, and his government was reluctant to, to do so and was enjoying something of a Polish economic boom as a result, which was making the EU look bad. Well, as for the, the swine flu hype, of course, governments that did go against that obviously were, would, would have been seen as, uh, as not happy parts of the international community by the, the pharmaceutical complex, which unfortunately has such a sway. But I, as to whether they would commit such a brazen assassination because of that, I find that hard to believe. As for the, the economic angle here, again, I don't think that the, the aftermath of the event actually bears up that reading because Poland continued ticking along at quite a high level of economic growth for quite a long time after this crash and in fact has only started to show signs of a slowdown in recent months. So uh, the effect that the assassination had on slowing down the Polish economy or bringing it more in line with the euro is highly questionable at best. And again, I don't think there's any indication that leads any anyone back to any of those types of sources. Again, a lot of it comes back to Russia specifically. So what was Russia's stake in all of this? Well, at least part of this can be gathered from the simple fact of where all of these officials were going. And it should be noted, for one, that it's a very bizarre breach of protocol and basic safety procedures that are followed by numerous countries to to have the president and so many of the top-ranking officials all on the same airplane at the same time for precisely this type of reason. But where were all of these top-level government officials heading to, and why did they crash so close to the Cadden Forest, where the earlier reports noted the Cadden Forest massacre took place? Well, it was, oddly enough, to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the Cadden Massacre, in the Cadden Forest itself, and they were on their way there to do exactly that, and that's when their plane crashed. Now this, as that earlier report noted, is a very much has been a point of contention between the Poles and the Russians for a very long time. So for more background on what the Cadden Massacre was and why it is such a sore point between the two countries and why this commemoration ceremony did bring with it the risk of those attending that they would be assassinated in such a manner, let's turn to a, a thorough documentary, a very interesting documentary, one of the most thorough that I can find in the English language at any rate on this uh, on this, the events there that, oddly enough, aired on Russian state television, RT. nineteen forty three the peak of the war between the Soviet Union and Hitler's Germany. 
It was then that secret burials were found in the village of Katyn near Smolensk. The German army's medical corps said the bodies of more than 4,000 Polish army officers had been found in seven ditches in a forest. They had been exhumed under the supervision of Professor Gerhard Butz, a well-known anthropologist from Breslau University. Butz later told the International Red Cross Committee about his findings. On April 13, 1943, Radio Berlin announced that Polish army officers and policemen had been shot and killed by the NKVD in 1940. The Soviets refuted it two days later. They claimed that the Polish officers had been executed by the Germans in the autumn of 1941. In 1943, Dmitry Chudich was 13 years old. He's lived in the Katyn forest area all his life. The German authorities took him and many other local people to the exhumation site. Dmitry thinks the message was clear. Nothing would have happened if the Germans hadn't uncovered anything. It was a political matter. Mind you, a Polish army had been formed in Soviet territory. So the aim was to show those Poles that they had no business fighting on the Russian side. See what they've done, you'll be in for it too. In the Polish capital, Warsaw, the so-called Katyn lists began to appear towards the end of spring 1943. People queued for hours in front of new stands to read them. New names were added to the lists every day. The name of my granddad appeared on one of the lists shortly after such lists were made public. My father often said he remembered the day when he learned that he had become an orphan, after his father's death and his mother's death six months before. In late 1943, Soviet troops drove the Germans out of the Smolensk region. Soon another medical commission, this time led by the well-known Soviet surgeon Nikolai Budenka, started work in the Katyn forest. Its task was to find evidence that the Polish prisoners had been killed by the Germans in 1941, after they'd invaded the Soviet Union. When a German-made Walter pistol was found there, that became the main argument in support of the claim that it was the Germans that executed the Polish officers. The theory that it was the Nazis that killed them was based on this discovery. Anton Antonov of Seyenka is a former political prisoner whose father belonged to Lenin's inner circle. He set up a gulag museum commemorating the victims of political repressions. A friend who worked at the Institute of Forensic Studies told how evidence in the Katyn case had been faked in the Soviet Union in 1944. A woman was on duty at that time. She saw the remains being pulled out of boxes and the pockets being stuffed with newspapers and letters bearing falsified dates. The aim was to create the impression that all that had happened in 1941 rather than in 1940. All the evidence was supposed to demonstrate that nobody but the Germans were to blame. Around the same time, a manhunt was underway to spot locals who believed that the Poles had been executed by the NKVD. 
Needless to say, they also met a tragic fate. If I had believed the Russians had killed him, I would have been dead for sure. Was this plane crash then somehow to stop such commemoration taking place? Was it a warning to Polish governments of the future not to use this as a rallying uh, cry or a poll boost for their own purposes and the domestic agenda in Poland? Was this a way of of basically silencing uh, the people who are interested in in the in commemorating the Cadden massacre? Was it a way to prevent this type of information from get pen- further penetrating the consciousness? of Russians, many of whom don't really know the details of this massacre. Certainly, this could be one of the factors playing into this assassination, although I would hesitate to say that it would be the only or the deciding factor. Perhaps an event like this, like an event like 9-11, if it was indeed staged and made to happen, would have been staged and made to happen for many different intersecting reasons, and a lot of different people would have been coming to the table with their own reasons for making this happen. So, on the Polish side as well, we have to look at the Polish government that took took uh, the reins of power after Kaczynski's death, who it was headed by, and what their own political purposes would have been in getting rid of that uh, competition and then covering up, participating in the cover-up of the Smolensk crash, as the Polish government seems to have been doing, at least according to SmolenskCrash.eu and other sources on this subject. So for more information about what the Polish uh, forces that would have been colluding in this would have had to gain from this, we can turn to someone that has become known as the Smolensk Widow. Her name is uh, Beata Goziewska, and she is the wife of a senator who died in that plane crash, and she has given numerous interviews talking about the crash and its significance. So there's one such interview that's been translated into English and that appears on doomedsoldiers.com. Again, you can find the link in the show notes for today's episode. But let's just read a couple of the questions and answers from that interview, starting with the question, Did you give much thought to the type and credibility of the information reaching us through the media in relation to the crash? From the beginning to the very end, I didn't really know what was going on. When we were invited to take part in the joint parliamentary proceedings by the marshal of the Polish parliament, Mr. Bronislaw Komorowski, I believe it was April 13th, 2010, he didn't even make an effort to come and see, let alone greet us. They packed us into a room and that was it. They didn't tell us why we were there. I thought then that Marshal Komorowski was already amidst his ongoing electoral campaign. Other issues, the additional mass burial at the Pawaski Cemetery... I was at the cemetery the day earlier, and I saw a hole they dug up, and truthfully, I didn't know what this was all about. During the days that followed, many families of the victims began to get together, to meet each other, and to comment on the behavior of the Tusk government before these important events. The television station TV Turum showed how on that day the coffin with my husband's body was flown from Russia to Poland, Marshal of Polish... uh, Parliament, Bronislaw Komorowski, stood along with the Prime Minister Donald Tusk and the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mr. Radislaw Sikorsky, all jubilant and in great moods. I noticed very quickly that they are hiding their content with great difficulty and felt truly victorious. The enemies, whom they have hated for so many years, were at last eliminated. This is what it looked like. When my husband was still alive, I asked him many times about the teamwork between the PO, the Polish abbreviation for Platforma Obywatelska, which was Donald Tusk's party, and PIS, the Law and Justice Party, led by the late President Lech Kaczynski. 
and what could be done to create a coalition of both of these parties that my husband and others so much desired. Why aren't you able to work together, I asked. My husband said, They smile only in front of the cameras. Truthfully, they hate us. If they could, they would kill us all. In this respect, unfortunately, he foretold what would happen. Again, you can look further into this for yourself, and obviously people who are in Poland will have a much better understanding of the local domestic situation and what Tusk and others would have had to gain by wiping out their uh, political rivals, if that is indeed what took place. But suffice it to say, there is certainly cause for a much deeper investigation into this accident and what really took place and whether or not it was an accident at all. And I've suggested some of the starting points for today's investigation, but of course, this is an ongoing concern. So I certainly hope that you out there will contribute your, uh, your own resources to this open source investigation and start looking into this for yourself. And as always, with important vital pieces of this puzzle, pass them along, I will pass them along to others, and hopefully we'll be able to have some of the people involved in this investigation on in the future to talk further about what really happened in Poland that day. That's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I am brought to you by you, so I appreciate all of your support, be it monetary or otherwise. In fact, even just spreading the word about the website can be a great way of helping support the work that I'm doing here. So until next week, thank you all for listening, and take care. Take care.